Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. this is Talk Arts. Welcome to Talk Arts. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling like an out-of-towner. <laughs> what do you mean, Rob? Why? Um, well, because I'm now living by the seaside. Whereabouts? In... Where is that seaside Oh, I town? don't know, and I'm not going to say because your LA agent doesn't like the <laughs> word beginning with M. Um, Margate. Yes. Uh, I've just come back to London to meet our incredible guest uh, this evening. Thank and you for that. I was walking the streets like a like I've never seen London before. I'm like completely hyped up, and and that's oh, Rocky shaking in the background. Rocky's in agreement. Didn't you bump into like four people as well since you've been in okay, London? Okay, well, an basically hour? since I've moved to Margate, I've been like, oh, it's so great. I feel so connected to other people. I walk out of my door, people say good morning You're like to a me. Little community. Yeah, I've got like a community and friends, and I'm feeling so happy. And then I come to London, and four people stop me in the street who I know who are like, Rob, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? Were they that like, excited? Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like. Oh, actually, I have a community in London. Oh. So basically, well, you got you got an international community. Basically, <laughs> we do. And um, the reason I'm mentioning this whole idea of being out of town is that our guest tonight has currently been in the countryside for a good few months, directing an amazing new TV show uh, called Industry. Mm-hmm. Is it a TV show or a film? It's a TV show, but you've done your research. I'm so impressed. It's not even out yet. Love this. And um, <laughs> and uh, it's on Deadline and stuff, though. I guess it's it's in the world. Like okay. I read Deadline. I don't even know how... how in, I think you told me. Anyway, oh. so then um, she has been in Wales and Wales is where my family are from. So I feel mm, yes, a super connection to our guest tonight. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> the Welsh connection. Yes. And I was just in Wales myself. So I, I've had the healing effect. Of, where were you in Wales? I was in Aberystwyth. Oh, yeah. I haven't been to Aberystwyth yet. I have kept my Welsh travels pretty limited, but I'm hoping to use my upcoming vacation week to really see what's what in the Welsh countryside. Good so one. your vacation week... Okay, hang on. Let's just introduce okay. you. <laughs> so I, our, Everyone guess my name. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest uh, today has come all the way from America. Via Wales. Via Wales. <laughs> uh, Lena Dunham. Yay! I'm so honored. I love this podcast and I'm have always been since the moment I met Russell Tovey, first met his dog, <laughs> then met him in my father's art gallery in uh, in New York. Uh, Russell was there and I was like, who's that dog? Wait, he belongs to that handsome actor whose work I know and have admired. And now that actor is telling me that he's an art collector with a shocking knowledge of art history. 
and he's not sexually or emotionally available to me. What is happening? <laughs> but I'm, you got me. I'm really honored to be with you guys. I love the podcast, and it's so amazing to hear two people who are so engaged with you know art as a concept and talking art. Thank you so much. Well, about that day is that what's incredible for me about that day is I went to your dad's show, Carol Dunham's show, and. I love his work and you were there at the opening and I was kind of like slightly starstruck to meet you. I think you're equally phenomenal. We can just like, so sweet. we can just jerk each other off now. And, <laughs> uh, and then, and then we, we chatted and we swapped emails. And then as I'm leaving, um, I was going to go and talk to this other artist who was there, who I absolutely love called Joe Bradley. And I couldn't because I couldn't build up the confidence because I'm such a fan. And That's then, also so cool because you're like one of the only people on the planet who wouldn't have the confidence to talk to Joe Bradley. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not like you're like Tom Cruise was there and I just couldn't say anything. Like yeah. Joe Bradley's an amazing artist, but I just think it's cool that that was your Oh, position. no, I, I get complete. <laughs> I was at a dinner the other night. I was at a River Cafe and Ed Roche was sat across the way. That's a big one. And I, I, I went to pieces and I, I, I said still to the Major D, I said, that I said is that? Is that Ed Roche? He's like, yeah. I was like, that's that's fucking crazy. I said, can I? Can you introduce me? He's like, yeah, he's really sweet. And I went over and I was like, Mr. Roche. I said, hi. And he went, hey, how are you? I said, I'm, I'm <laughs> Your great. impressions fucking slightly of like American <laughs> art people. And then I said, let's. can I get a selfie with you? And he's like, sure. I was like, oh my God. And then I, I was so jealous. I was, was like he texting nice? him. Like, lovely. So lovely. But I was really wobbly. Secret. No one ever asks artists for selfies unless it's like, you know, there's like three artists people ask for selfies. Or, it's like, it's like. Well, like who, who then do you think? Who maybe is? Cindy Sherman, yeah. Salvador Dali, if he wasn't dead. <laughs> Andy Warhol. Yeah. Andy, Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol would also love dead. A he yeah. would love to do a selfie. But I can't think of any other artist who gets recognized and asked for photos. So it's like that kind of celebrity in the art world it isn't really easy to come by. So I think it's probably like incredibly meaningful when somebody mm. recognizes them and expresses their gratitude who isn't mm. just, you know, a collector or mm. a newspaper. Mm. Yeah, and it was just in a restaurant. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But anyway, so the Joe Brady thing, I couldn't talk to Joe Brady and then this lady came up to me and she watched Looking. She went, oh, me and my husband watch Looking. We really love it. I said, oh, that's really interesting. Like a, a heterosexual couple have been watching Looking and following. I said, that's great. That that's like shows the diversity of our audience. And I went, oh, I went, I really want to go and meet that artist, but I haven't got the ball, so I'm going to leave. She went, who? Who? That man there? I said, yeah. She went, that's my husband. I was like, <laughs> no. I was like, what? She went, yeah. And I walked over and he was like, hey. I was like, hi. No. And she was like, you remember him and looking? He was like, sure. Yeah, I remember. We watched looking. And I was just like, this is fucked up. And then I sort that's of left. So cool. And as I left, I got an email and I was trying to get this artwork by this artist called Tori Thornton, who I love. And I've been waiting for ages for this artwork. And as I walked down the stairs, an email came out and said, oh, we've managed to get you this artwork you've been after pinged up. And I had to go and sit in on a stoop on the doorway and ring my mum and go, mum, this is just like, none of this will make sense to you. I know who any of these people are or really care. But for me, this is <laughs> such an incredible like New York moment. Do you know what I mean? That only 100%. happens in New York. And it's funny because I've had a few of those since I've gotten to London. I think sometimes when you go to a city, you know, I've had lots of magical nights in New York, but I think sometimes when you go to a city that's not your own mm. and you like, like the other night I got to go to the Tarantino premiere, like, you know, that's one of those movies where I'm like, okay, I never thought I'd be in a Quentin Tarantino yeah, movie. Yeah. I never thought I'd be living in London when it came out. So I did to go to the London premiere. And then I saw Helen McCrory, who's one of my favorite 
like working actors. Yeah, incredible. And I wanted to say hi to her and I was scared. And then I walked into the bathroom to pee in the middle of it because it's an amazing movie, but very long. And she was in there and she went, oh, hello, you. And I was like, Oh my God, oh my God. And then I got to call my dad and be like, the lady, the lady from Peaky Blinders. So we all have <laughs> those moments. And I think when you're not in your hometown, you can appreciate it's like, it becomes a little bit more of a fantasy and like the Anglophile in me yeah. loves it here. I mean, going to the, you know, I've been to the Met Gala six times, but going to the Serpentine Gala was way nerdier for me because oh. I'm like, these are all like, you know, like London people I see on the Daily Mail or people whose novels I read and like do you, in, do you follow the Daily Mail website I'm not proud but I do read the celebrity gossip on <laughs> the Daily hilarious. Mail it relaxes me the wow. only thing I don't like is like I'll sometimes be reading it and I'll just be like so happy because I'm reading about just like what you know Megan Barton Hansen is doing from she's from Love Island okay and then um and then, like, I'll just see, like, them saying some weird, sassy thing about me. And I'm like, oh, did you have to ruin my relaxing evening like oh, that? Oh, no. But usually, it's blessedly free. Okay, guys, for the viewers at home, listeners at home, that's Rocco snorting. He has a face of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky, Rocky, do you have the face of an angel? <laughs> more of a gargoyle, but He's yeah. Got Baby, so go cute. and lay down. I'm not going to cuddle you because you make too much noise on the microphone. He's currently got his, his feet up on Russell's oh, knee and he wants to play, clearly. He doesn't want to play, he just wants to cuddle. Maybe he wants, wants to, to cuddle, cuddle but he's so snarfly when he's happy that he's he like so can't cute. cuddle because he's a snort bag. He also like might weigh as much as me. <laughs> like, how much does he weigh? He weighs. I don't know. I'm. I don't really understand maths and weight. Uh, it's four, fourteen. Does that make kilos sense? Kilos or pounds? He's definitely not fourteen pounds. He's a big man. <laughs> kilos, fourteen kilos. <laughs> okay, so we'll you will have the uh, listeners translate that. But regardless, <laughs> he's very cute. Yes. Um, I remember when you two met because you sent me a picture and said like, "Oh my god, I just met Lena Dunham." Sorry, I always call you Lena Dunham, and it's everyone in England calls me Lena, I'm really and sorry. I'm honored. I love okay, it. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I was going to bring that up early on like, because. I keep made out with the guy him. and didn't even correct him. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> don't care. Okay, cool. Um, I remember when you met, and at the time, I remember thinking how your show, Girls, probably paved the way in a way for looking oh, to be made. God, yeah. And I, I, mean, I, I really believe that, though. And that would be an honor. That show's so beautiful. It is so, so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Thank you very and much. And I remember just being very excited for you, anyway. Yes. So, well, it's so exciting to be with you two and get to be a part of this like amazing lineup of people. That I mean line up of people you've brought together and I love that there's you know two people I mean I know that art is now your career Rob yeah, but like yeah. I love the fact that you have really like my dad always says that art collecting it's not about like how much money you have or having the best art advisor or being you know making sure you have one of every series uh, every one of the series it's about having passion and the best art collections come from buying things you love and once I started collecting art, that was really what I followed was like, it didn't matter to me if it had a pedigree, it didn't matter to me if it was resaleable, as long as I thought it was beautiful. Mm. And I feel like your art collection is so inspiring and emblematic. It's what art collection started out being, which is like specific people's vision come to life through the work they chose to surround themselves by. Mm -hmm. And you still kind of, um, you kind of, are the pinnacle of what I think art collecting should be. Result. Lovely stuff. That's really What sweet. was the first thing you started collecting then? When did you start collecting art? So the first, you know, 
I had an art collection. I kind of took for granted that I was kind of born with an art collection. Yeah. Because yeah. when I was born, not only did I sort of, you know, my parents have done this really lovely thing where my mom has saved one of every photograph she's ever taken for both my my younger sibling and me. No way. And my dad's done the same with his prints. So wow. I where, have this, where are they? Just in storage somewhere? They're though. in storage. They're at storage facility in New Jersey, a heat and temperature controlled storage facility. <laughs> and then I also, so I have that amazing gift from my parents that I kind of didn't take the time. And that's why I have a print for Russell that I have to send him. And I've been very derelict about sending him and a drawing. Oh. But, this isn't one that's been assigned to you though. This isn't well, one. No, it's like one of my... Literally, I'm sorry to say it, like I'm not going to be able to manage all these prints and drawings. <laughs> so it's an honor for me to offload it to someone. <laughs> offload it onto me, absolutely. I yeah. like to be able to, I just haven't sent it, but to be able to offload it to someone who actually loves it and cares about it. Yeah. I've done that only a few times in my life. I gave one to my agent because he's an art collector. Oh, wow. Giving one to you. I gave one to a friend when she had a baby, but I don't do it often. But I have this big collection. Then also when I was born, you know, I got a really amazing range of artworks gifted to me and gifted to me since by my parents' friends. So because of that, I have, you know, a Mel Bachner, um, a Terry Winters, a Lisa Scavage, which oh, is wow. one wow. something I love so much. Um, uh, I have... Um, Wasn't art- there, didn't she paint you at some point? Wasn't there like a... Lisa Scavage would have me in her studio when I was a kid and I would work on... Um, sculpy models of her paintings i don't know what then then she would sometimes use that sit them next to her paintings we had like a really fun relationship i always loved her when i was a little kid i just thought she was the coolest adult and i still think that you know i have an anna gaskell a gregory crutzen like uh i have um you know a mallory martyr katie granin what's the gregory crutzen of that's that filmic it's a filmic image that is actually in storage, but I love his work beyond measure. Um, he's, and so this work, you know, surrounded me and I didn't really think about the fact that like, I thought, well, I'm not going to buy art. I have all the art I'm ever going to need. But yeah. it wasn't until maybe really till I turned 30 that I realized, oh, actually I have my own perspective. And for me, I really love figure modern figurative painting by women and mm-hmm. and also i've expanded a little to queer people but um but i won't kick a gay man or a or a trans man out of bed for eating crackers but i uh really love like to look at figurative paintings by women so the first thing that i bought as an adult the first purchase where i was like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this was um a a, a mid-sized painting called striper by ellen birkenblit Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have. They're two. kind of like fo- the fox character, isn't it, or like exactly. a, a wolf? Or this one is a girl who looks like she's kind of vomiting out like a series of pink ribbons. Wow. I love it so much. My ex boyfriend was like, "What is this, and why is it in our living room?" <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I bought uh, two prints by Ellen, and then a much larger painting of a really big beautiful high heel shoe it's like a i can't even fit it in my current apartment it's so big it's at my parents house a big beautiful high heel shoe kind of crushing a cityscape and then um and then i also um just purchased my dad helped me um find the work of kyle staver who's a painter i really love he introduced me to another painter he introduced me to called jacqueline hobby whose work i'm currently chasing Mm -hmm. i just 
bought a beautiful painting by a woman named Jenna Gribben who shows at Fredericks and Fraser in New York. And then and then I also collect um, like a number of more sort of like folk outsider art women. Yeah, nice. So there's one there's a gallery in New Orleans that I love that I started actually buying art from called Red Truck Gallery, where I bought paintings by a woman called Mab Graves and a woman called Penelope Gazin, um, Kristen Riker. Natalia Fabia. These are like a bunch of sort of really beautiful figurative works I got. And then I became friends with Gabriel Schaffer, who runs Red Truck, which is shows a lot of amazing people. And I sent him sort of shyly just to show him like that I love to paint, never thinking anything of it. A year and a half into when I started painting, I sent him some of just images of my work. And he actually has now ended up including my He's been incredibly supportive of me painting and has included my paintings in two of his group shows, which is one of the most shocking and unexpected things that That's I... so awesome. I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. My parents were... Oh. I can't even say they're proud because they're so confused, but they think <laughs> it's really funny. So you've been painting a lot with watercolors, haven't you? Exclusively and watercolors. Exclusively watercolors. I and, love watercolors. And often you paint female um, icons of popular culture and also people that mean a lot to you. So I've seen one of your dad, Carol Dunham. Yep. He's um, the only man I've really he's painted. He's the only man you've painted. Yep. But can you talk a bit about why you paint the people that you paint and who you paint? Well, the thing that I started, I started painting during a really hard period in my life when I felt like I needed a way writing wasn't coming easily. And I needed a way to tell stories and think about what was happening in my life and my body and Just my Just to heart. get through a block sort of thing. It was like yeah. finding another Exactly. I that. knew like I, I wasn't writing. And if I'm not writing, then I'm not directing. And if I'm not directing, then I'm not making pictures. And so a friend of mine gave me a notepad and some colored pencils. And I was reminded of how much I loved drawing women and portraits of women when I was a kid. And then once... It started, and then I, um, Paul Monroe, who's an amazing artist who actually lives with me in Los Angeles, and he's the, he runs a foundation called the Greer Langton Archives Museum, which is to support the work of his um, wife who passed away in 1996, Greer Langton. He keeps an amazing, amazing um, sculptor and painter who was one of the first trans women artists to really openly trans female artists to be publicly exhibited. And she has work in, you know, the Whitney, the Matt, MoMA. I mean, her work is Was she unbelievable. photographed by Peter Hujar? Yes. She okay. was a big Peter Hujar subject. Got it. She's a big Peter Hujar subject, big David Wanarovich subject, and really an iconic figure in 80s and 90s East Village. And Paul owned a store called Einstein's in New York in the 80s and 90s where he really kind of was – it was like a focal point for – a lot of amazing artists, many of whom have since, who we lost during the AIDS crisis, mm. um, the first first gasp of the AIDS crisis. So Paul and I are really close, and he lives with me in L.A. And he said, like, in his funny voice, he's like, why don't you try watercolors? And I'm trying to do an impression as good as yours. And <laughs> he got me some, and I just couldn't believe how good it felt. And I became obsessed with watching, like I just wanted to know technique. So mm -hmm. turns out you can learn a lot from YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I started watching like, you know, every video I could watch on like color mixing and values and, you know, which brush to use with which. And like, you know, just you just teach yourself technique so you can play around with it and mess around with it. And so I became obsessed with having my close 
female friends send me selfies of themselves, preferably nude, though I never put pressure on anyone. And I began painting those and sort of started doing it in a larger and larger format. And now I've been working on some paintings that are, um, you know, about four feet tall, but that took a little bit of time to get to. you work on watercolor paper? I work on watercolor paper, thick, rough, cold-pressed watercolor paper. I'm very particular about the paper. I've gotten very snobby about my brushes. I've gotten very (laughs) snobby about my paints. I order them from Japan. I'm obsessed. I never, I find watercolor brushes now in every bag, in every corner. They're everywhere. Every one of my nightgowns is covered in paint. You can see mm-hmm. there's paint on the edge of my nightgown right now. I'm like right that now. with dog poop bags. Every pair of jeans yeah. or shorts <laughs> or bag, I fell out. God, there we go. This dog is poop my bag. dog poop bags. Right. And <laughs> it's just like, it's become such an obsession that I will be at my actual job, which is creative and amazing, writing, directing. And I'm like, in my head, like, I want to get back to that painting. I need to get back to that wow, painting. Wow. And you've I'm been doing so, that in Wales, haven't you? You've yes. been painting plein air. Yes. I saw a great picture of you painting. And I set out, I made a little studio there, set it up. Let's just explain what plein air is then, Rob. Plein air is where you paint in nature. So so yes. you can sit outside air, in outside. the fresh air. I have a beautiful yard in Wales. Like the most beautiful yard I've ever seen. I can't even believe it's not just in a magazine. And I go out there in my nightgown with my, you know, canvas. I w- And then I thought, I don't care about painting nature. And then I looked around and I was like, oh my God. Nature is the most unbelievable thing. So I don't just paint nature. I've been doing a series of images from lesbian porn with flat, with like natural elements around them. So trying to like kind of superimpose. A lesbian in the Welsh countryside. A, lesb- a lesbian in the Welsh countryside, oh, which they Love exist. This. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not ones with breast implants and no pubic hair. So that's what I've been painting. Gosh. Wow. Well, that's all anyone's ever wanted to see, yeah. really. And, and so I have a couple going to this show um, at Red Truck in August. And awesome. then some are going to go to the Miami Basel Red Truck um, booth. And then when I sell them, I give all the money to this um, organization called Friendly House I work with, which is um, which is a uh, sober living facility and rehab for um, that doesn't turn any women away for cost reasons. So it's like an independent... Um, cost-effective, affordable rehab that I work with. So it's been amazing. And it's given me also a greater passion for collecting because I understand more about not just technique, but sort of what it just gives you, making things gives you a feel. Like I start to love movies more when I start to make them. I love paintings more. And I don't, I'm not like, I always think it's a little embarrassing when someone tries to step outside their medium and like announce. I'm not going to like announce like I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm visual making a artist. folk album. Yeah. Oh, I'm right, a visual right. artist. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I know I'm not a visual artist, but as my da- my dad said <clears throat> the best thing, he said, "I think it's a very credible hobby you have," which is all I needed from my waspy dad. But do you know what? I also think why limit ourselves? It really yeah. frustrates me that I mean, of yeah. course, if you have something you're successful in and you're good at, then that obviously often takes up a lot of your time. But yeah. you know, I, I think you shouldn't stop yourself. And I thought it was brilliant that you were doing them. And actually, I Thank really like you. them as well. Like, there's you're quite a few great. of them I've seen that I haven't seen loads of them, but I've probably seen about five or six of them. And you know, out of those five or six, I, I liked five of them. Do you know what you, I mean? Like, I think there's a Karen I think Kalimnik so, vibe to yeah, nicest Karen thing Kalimnik. you've ever said to me. Karen Kalimnik. No, but there's lots of, of people that I used to collect, like Mari Eastman. I don't know if you know Mari Eastman, yes. but she did loads of watercolor kind of, or, yes. or you know, watery paintings anyway on walls. Amazing. And a bit yeah, the Marlena Karen Kalimnik. Totally. Times. 
Tracy Emin did some really good watercolors. Tracy Emin regularly does good watercolors. Yeah, I have one above my bed. Yeah, I actually have a bit of a fantasy about buying a Tracy Emin watercolor because I'm just. I also want to start collecting more watercolor because I'm obsessed with With the medium and watercolor. And it's so crazy what you can do with it and what I can't do with it because I am like, literally, I watch. literally, Literally, the other day I was watching my friend and. Um, colleague Liz walked in on me watching a YouTube video how to paint leopard spots and I was like this is humiliating (laughs) (laughs) but do you think maybe you have been a visual artist but because of your both your parents being artists there was a reluctance within you to follow that route 100% for a few reasons I think one it's like if you have two parents who excel at what you do they do you want to differentiate yourself And I was always really conscious of wanting to be my own person who did my own thing and then happened to find this career really early before I had sort of really debated exactly how I wanted to go about my life. Hmm. And then the other thing is that I think I, as a kid, being so immersed in the art world, I saw all the ways in which it was limiting, misogynistic, excluded women and people of color and queer people like they've found their way into the narrative but by pushing and fighting and also just the way that like I always kind of regarded the art world as a kid I mean it was everyone I knew so I loved it and it was cozy to me but I could also see the ways in which it was sort of like snobby and tough and artists were sort of like beholden to incredibly wealthy people to determine their future and that art collecting isn't and like I'm not a person who's like, all right, like I am never going to be the person who's like, the art world's bullshit and it's an ivory tower. Like <laughs> I love it and it's fascinating to me and it yeah. always will be and it's mm-hmm. how my life, I mean, it's why I exist. It's mm-hmm. why my parents met. It's why I had the education and the opportunities that I had. But I also think I saw the limits of it. Like I remember once as a kid trying to under, going with my dad like to Central Park and there were some drawings and I loved them and I, this like man was drawing in Central Park and selling his drawings. And I was like, why do his drawings cost $5? And my dad was like, um, I don't know. They are like, I think my dad, he didn't say something unkind, but he's like, they're different than what your mom and I do. And I was like, so he couldn't be in a gallery? And he's like, well, probably not. That's not the same kind of art that gets sold in a gallery. And I remember like, it made me so mad. Like, I don't know what, I was like, but those are great too. Like- why does one person have to, it was that little kid thing of like, that's not fair. I was like, mm. why does he have to sell his drawings in Central Park and someone else has to sell them in a gallery? Like I was very conscious of what felt like it was, didn't have a lot of equilibrium. And it's not like Hollywood is any better. It's just a bigger version of the same mm. issue. But I think that's one of the reasons I really bridled against the art world. And so did my younger sibling. And my younger sibling, um, Cyrus, who's a writer as well, also keeps finding themselves kind of pulled back into the art world. So it's very hard thing to shake off for good. So did you, talking about like the misogyny or the, the difficulty and opportunity, but did your parents ever have that them conversations, your mum's experience of being in the art world and your dad's experience being in the art world? Yeah, well, I think something I really respect about, something I really respect about my mother, besides everything, is like, she's a pioneer like whether people like her work or they don't they can't deny that she like pushed and fought and showed up and has been doing it for 40 i mean she has a 40 year long this art is career. Laurie simmons, i was about to say for people mom, listening Laurie who simmons. don't know Laurie her name's simmons. Laurie simmons um 
she's so brilliant and gifted and tough and she never gave up and she didn't let all of the endless knows because she worked with photography and she worked a lot with toys and dolls and miniatures. So she got a lot of people dismissing it as sort of like craft art or women's art or Mm. cute art. And she was like, no, this is modern tough, art. And this is tough work. It's yeah. like, yeah, because it's got like dolls involved. Do people think it's kind of chinty or kind of like easy? It's, it's not. It's taking on really tough issues. And she was like, no, this deserves the same pride of place that any man who's making modernist sculptures, you know. And my mom had to really fight, as did, you know, all her friends, Cindy Sherman, Sarah Charlesworth, Louise Lawler, Marilyn Minter. Those are all of her best And these were all around you as a kid. Yeah, I mean, those were the women I knew, and those were the women. That's another thing I feel so lucky about is those are the women I knew who had big careers. Like, that was the the women I looked up to. And what I love about my dad, besides everything, is that he, when my mom would say, you know, hey, I got into this situation. It was really tough. I felt, you know, undermined or undervalued. My dad would never go like, come on, buck up. Or like, no, it's not that unfair. Just keep doing your work. Like, he really heard her and defended her and tried to learn from it. And like, as a result, was able to be a really great ally to me, who's a woman, and my sibling, who's a gender nonconforming person. And support us as we embarked on our own careers with our own challenges around gender so like i really got the best role model role models in both of them like a man who could learn and listen a woman who didn't take no for an answer but yeah there were definitely those conversations and you know you see like when you have parents who are in the art world like an art career is very rarely if ever a straight line up like so much of it is about trends and there might just be a year that like photography is not hot or like five years where it's not selling well or Six years where people aren't into abstraction and then they're not into figurative, figure, figurative work. And like, yeah. and then like, I remember when John Kern and Lucia Scavage started, everyone was like, what are these people doing using oil paint and doing this like, like, you know, almost like Renaissance yeah. looking work. And now it's like, goes for millions of dollars at mm-hmm. auction. So everybody in the art world has to deal like we do in Hollywood, which you know so well with that feeling of like, oh, I had this really hot year and everyone was obsessed with me and they couldn't get enough of me and I had to turn things down and wow. And then six months where you're like, it's like being a kid at camp and you're like, where did everybody go? Yeah. Like, And that is something I think I was, well, something I also feel lucky for is I was prepared going into a creative career for the fact that it wasn't just going to be like up, up and away. Plain sailing, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, something that I really love that I wasn't actually aware of until recently was that your mum actually made a work of you um, in 2017, is that right? She For did. a series. And obviously her early work, I don't know if the listeners know this or not, but the ones who don't know, um, often had uh, um, dolls and small furniture and, um, you know, they weren't real people. Yeah. Um, whereas the 2000, I think it was 2015 was the first time she started to actually use real, real life um, was it Meryl Streep in one? No, who was the actress? She, didn't she... Meryl Streep was in a film my mom did. Yes, yes, yep. yes. She was oh, in a film cool. my mom did that where, where she basically played my mom among a bunch of dummies of my dad, which was cool and surreal. But yeah, my mom's... I've been in two photos of my mom's ever besides home photos. I was in one when I was eight with my best friend, Isabel. It was a dummy 
having a, it was when Photoshop first started. I have it in my phone right here, actually, because I just sent it to my best friend because she's coming to visit me. <laughs> Who's um, in the picture with you? She's in the nice. picture with me and she's coming to Wales to see me. So here we have a photograph of us where it was just at the beginning of Photoshop. My mom wanted it to be a dummy and he's in a field dreaming of having a menage a trois with two women, but she needed girls to be the right size for the dummy. So that's Isabel and me. <laughs> no way. In a menage a trois with the dummy. That's amazing. She did not say menage a trois. She said you should both be hugging him because she knew not oh. to say. And now looking yeah, yeah, back, you're you know. engaged in three way sex with a dummy, but that is what was going on. That and is then, 100% what was going on. And then more recently. But, your, the work that she made in 2017, you were actually covered in body paint and you were totally Once. nude, but you would totally immediately recognize that. Well, here's an interesting thing. I actually had to beg for that one because <laughs> my mother was going to do, which obviously when I told this story in like New York Magazine, everyone was like, Lena's trying to practice trans erasure. I think you'll agree that was not the story. My mother was doing a photo of my younger sibling, Cyrus, in body paint with their with binding over their breasts in body paint as Rudolph Valentino. It was like a play on gender and Cyrus's transition. And when I when I saw the paint, the um the body paint photo, I was really jealous. And I said, and also there was one of our family dog, not in body paint, but with some like cool elements. And I was like, I'm jealous. I want to be part of this. Like, so my mom was like, well, it's about the fact that Cyrus has gone through so many changes this year. And I was like, I've gone through a lot of changes. I had a hysterectomy and ended my long-term relationship and had some really hard career stuff. And like, that's real too. So I was not trying to practice trans erasure. I just wanted to join the family fun. So my mom said, what do you want me to body paint you as? She said, you're going to have to think of something really good because I'm not just going to do it to be nice to you. And I said, Audrey Hepburn struggled a lot with her physical health throughout her life, with body image, with anorexia, with illness. So I want you to have me body painted as this picture of Audrey Hepburn talking on the telephone in a chair. Amazing. And she saw it and was like, that's actually a pretty good idea. So she had to concede. So I got to be in it too. And it was really exciting because then... My mom had a big show, a big retrospective at the um, uh, uh, Salon ninety four. Was it or Salon ninety four had the first show, and then the retrospective went to the um, modern um, the Chicago uh, Mocha mo- um, Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago. Yes, right. Yes, MCA Chicago Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago yeah. Mocha, and so um, they made for the gift shop large cashmere scarves of the pictures of my brother and me. No way. Yes, wow. it was really cool. That's really cool. I have a large cashmere scarf of myself that I'm not going to wear because the accusations of narcissism will come even faster <laughs> and more furiously, but I they do They gifted it. it to you, right? You didn't have to buy that. They gifted it to me, but I did buy a bunch of T-shirts with pictures of my mom. They did this T-shirt that's like a picture of my mom from the 80s taking a photograph of herself in a mirror, and it's the coolest. It's like cool like 80s woman. It's a selfie. It's a proto selfie on a white T-shirt. And whenever I wear it, like everyone, without even knowing it's my mom, is like, where'd you get that shirt? It's the coolest shirt I've ever seen. Because it's just a woman taking a 70s selfie. It's beautiful. Wow. I, think I have a line in my book where I say, my mother, I start a chapter by saying, my mother invented the selfie. 
I like to say that because she took a lot of photos of herself with her camera on a timer or in the mirror in the 70s that really, it wasn't just that she was taking them of herself. They looked, the attitude and look of them was much like the selfies we've come right. to know and love today. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I like to think my mother was the inventor of the I selfie. I like to think that as well now. I do too. I, I love the Spread photo that. of you from 2017 because of the directness of the eye contact as well. Like you're directly looking in it and also you look so comfortable. And there's something about, I can imagine, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but the fact you know your mum so well and that she obviously knows you so well, but you, you can really feel that energy in the photograph. And I think it's a very unusual picture of you. Well, like it's you. so kind of raw and honest and touching. It was interesting because she did not just let me sit there. She was really bossy. She was like really knew what she wanted. Have you seen her at work before though? Have you? Yeah. I mean, my out? whole childhood, I was in her studio with her. Is the studio in your house? And the studio was in our house oh, right. and is now in our house in the country. And so, your dad's studio is in? Mm-hmm. So I but, grew but up. But also that, that became part of Tiny Furniture. So the first film you ever made was, was called about, Tiny Furniture, but it, it had about, your mum as an artist yes. in the house and your character comes home and... But, you know, mostly my mom took pictures of inanimate objects that looked animate so she didn't have to be very bossy and when she takes pictures of people who aren't me I can hear her directing them and she's really loving and she gets what she wants but (laughs) but then with me she was like close your mouth don't try to make that fish face she's like you're making a face like all those girls making like pictures in daily mail daily mail (laughs) why are you doing that no mouth open this look at me sit up straight and but then I had to and it kind of disarmed me but she really knew what she wanted she didn't let me get away with anything, so I could. And then it took actually three hours and mm. three people to get the all full black body paint off of my. But I was so shocked, and I was finding like streaks of black. Like, I mean, literally, you will all l- enjoy this. I got a text from my mom the night before the photo shoot where she was like, 6 a.m. Don't be late. Bring a bathrobe. Shave everything, and I mean everything." So I don't know how many of you have gotten texts from your mom telling you to shave. <laughs> you didn't your shave pubes. your head though. Nope, left that. But it had to be a full leg. Your mom arms, you to shave I loved your the. I loved the your feet as well because you had like uh, ballet shoes painted they on painted, them. Painted, and that was my mom's vision. The the person was like, "It's gonna look weird with the toes." My mom was like, "Just trust me." But they also had to paint my toenails black to go with it. It was a really amazing process. She hired this woman who runs a company called Body of Art. And she is like, does all the sports illustrated, or she learned from the woman who does all the sports illustrated, like wow. body paint swimsuits. But of course, we were not getting sexy body paint. We were getting serious art body paint. Where is this paint uh, photograph now? Do you know? Well, there's a bunch of them. I don't, I, my, I must, we must have an edition of it. There, a bunch of them sold. I was so shocked of that people wanted it in there, wanted me staring at them with my nipple peeking know, out you know of my shirt about in their that, house. That but... work, though, is that it's actually a really great work. And, 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 and it's so nice. And it sort of doesn't feel like it's about me. You, like it's exactly. It's not Lena Dunham, the no, no, whatever agree, controversial writer, director. It's just like a, a woman and it really takes its own form. And I was very moved looking at it because I didn't recognize myself. Yourself, exactly, yeah. And That's I think that was my mom's goal. And she transformed everyone that she touched with that, I think. And people... I'm really proud of her because of the way she just so easy for artists to sort of rest on their laurels and keep remaking the things that they've made yeah. in new ways. And my mom just like she's always pushed herself really hard and it's a quality I really and the thing I learned from her is like part of the reason I felt comfortable painting was because my mom, you know, made her first movie at 55 and then made her first feature at 
68 and has, you know, collaborated with fashion designers. She's designed a dollhouse. She's done work to hang in restaurants. Oh, yeah. She's done, She's done fashion that dollhouse. It slats into each other, doesn't it? It's amazing. It? Yeah. it was called the Kaleidoscope House. Oh, it was yes. sold for years and years at the MoMA, um, at like the MoMA design, design store. She and her friend Peter Wheelwright designed this modernist dollhouse that yeah. was just stunning and unusual. And there were I got to be a doll in it. That was really cool. Right. She did dolls of my sibling and me. It was funny because she and Peter, who's my dad's best friend, designed the dollhouse together. So my mom did a doll of her and a doll of Peter as the married couple and then all their children as the children. And so my dad and Peter's spouse were kind of like, so you guys just erased us and made yourself married as dolls? What's going on here? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So with two artist parents, you're technically an artwork, by the way, because you're you're created by... It's, you're not the first. My mom has definitely once, you know, like weaker moment been like, you two are the greatest artwork we've ever created. And my... <laughs> Sibling was like, please don't refer to us as artwork. But I don't mind. I like it. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Um, but uh, growing up in New York, in we you were mid eighties, weren't you? Nineteen eighty six. Yeah. So, do you have memories of um, that whole kind of period of the AIDS epidemic and an artist? Then I remember Russell yeah. saying to me that you once told him a story that really was touching. Yeah, an incredible story you told me. Yeah, I mean, I think I told you about my uncle Jimmy, my yeah. mom's best friend, yeah. who was an incredible artist who actually my mom still um, runs his estate and has is working with the Fales Library at NYU to keep it alive and Salon 94. Um, his name was Jimmy DeSanta. He was an incredible photographer. He took... He was a queer artist. A queer he? artist um, who my mom met on the... She met him on the subway going out to Coney Island. She saw a beautiful man wearing all white with a camera around his neck that he had spray painted white and a white straw hat and white slippers and a diamond choker. And she was like, you know, she was from Long Island from like a Jewish community in Long Island. She'd never seen anybody who looked like that. And she was just getting into photography and they became best friends. They lived together. He taught her everything she knew about being a photographer and they had a dark room in their home. And then once my father and mother got together, Jimmy moved to a loft in the same building, but in the around the back. Where was that area? In on Broadway between Prince and Spring and Soho. Oh, right, wow, wow. And the apartment that I lived in till I was thirteen is the one that my mom got with Jimmy. And um, in the year that I was born, he was um, diagnosed with AIDS. Um, and you know, as we know, there were not, there was nothing to do then. So it wasn't like you know you're diagnosed with HIV and you take care of yourself. It was like 
he was diagnosed with full-blown AIDS and within, you know, he he, he was diagnosed uh, the year I was born and he died when I was four. And he was, you know, my mom, she was with him when he passed and he was her best, best friend. And, you know, it's something that's actually at hard moments with my mom I've had to remind myself of and really have empathy for is that I don't know what it's like to lose a huge slice of your community. And even though my mom isn't a queer man, those are the people like me. I mean, my best friends are gay men. That's my, uh, I like to say that's my target demo, but um, <laughs> she lost so many people she loved. She lost, you know, her her other best friend was an artist called Robert Kitchen who died 10 years ago and his twin brother passed um, from AIDS. Her community was just going down and she was so many women in the art world because so many men were living away from families that didn't accept them often their female best friends became their mothers, their caretakers. And Mm. Jimmy actually had an amazing mother who my mom was really close with. And she still cooks a dish called chocolate derby pie that Jimmy's mother taught her to make and and is in touch with his family and his former partner. And is really, what's been one of the most moving things is my mom doesn't cry about it and she doesn't, she's not a particularly kind of um, nostalgic person. She's kind of anti-nostalgic, even though her work is nostalgic. But she has worked harder than she's worked for herself to make sure that his work got its moment mm. in the sun. And like she single-handedly got Salon 94 to start showing him. She got Fails Library to take on his estate. She found interns and pe- countless hours cataloging it and sold the work. And, you know, that's her way of of keeping him alive with her. Wow. So incredible. You told me an amazing story about that time that as a kid living in New York at that time, you would recognize if someone had AIDS and you would just know to yourself like, oh, that person's got AIDS and you'd yeah. see them walking around and you just you just knew. Well, you knew because I knew my mom told me because Jimmy would come over all the time. And would he look and, ill? To, would you and be he, like- he was very thin. He had, you know, um, the... I don't think he actually did have Carposi, Carpo, Carposi mm. sarcoma, Chaos, yeah. but he was very thin, very unwell looking. He was handsome, but by the time I can remember him, he was not the person he had been. He'd been very fit, like very focused on his body, and he was completely wasted away. And so my mom said to me when I was a kid, because she had to, she said, Jimmy's sick. So if anything ever happens and Jimmy falls over or he's bleeding, you can't touch him. You can't touch it. And, you know, I think that was how she knew to explain, like, you know, they didn't know really. They knew HIV was spread from sex and from blood. And now we know that, like, you know, someone touching someone's blood on the ground is probably not going to be a transmission. But So she explained to me, Jimmy's sick. This is what he's sick with. This is what you do if something happens to him or he falls down or he's bleeding. And so then I would see other men on this I remember seeing them on the subway I remember seeing one in the bank who looked like him had the same drawn look hat big coat and you just knew you go oh 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 and at by a certain age if I was 10 or something I could say does that man have AIDS my mom would say yes he does or you know and the answer is usually yes he does so that's a time it's really hard for me to explain especially to young people because now when I meet young people if I meet a 22-year-old, they have no memory no, of that. No, no, no. 
They don't even remember a time when they were really told that HIV was a real threat to them because mm. of the way that young people are engaging in sex now. So it's like really wild to explain, okay, in the 80s, Soho was a wasteland. There were no stores. There was nothing. HIV and AIDS were a death sentence and it was everywhere. And I mean, Paul had something, Paul, my roommate in Los Angeles, had something like 80 people at his wedding and within three or 60 of them had died. That's not a amount that we can, I have to try to explain to people when they, it, can you? You when they think yeah. like, like when someone once said like, Paul can be kind of tough. And I was like, you have to understand like, Paul lost as many friends as if you had lived through a genocide. Yeah, It's a literal comparable number. Like you only hear other numbers like that if someone's describing having lived in pre-war Germany yeah. or Rwanda, you know, so it's mm. it's something I try to also be really cognizant of when I cognizant of when I deal with gay men of that generation is also showing them the proper respect totally. that honors their trauma. Like a gay man over fifty can be as mean as he wants to me. I don't even care. Like I'm just I'm just taking it on the chin. You know, it's quite interesting <laughs> because I, I spent time with Maripol, who was Madonna's stylist when Madonna first became a big pop star and all that yeah. look that Madonna, we know, yeah. was a lot of that was styled by Maripol. And yeah. I interviewed her a number of times in New York and spent a few weeks with her many, many years ago, like 12 years ago or something. And she um, said to me that it was literally like where her studio was, which she still lived in at the time I was interviewing her in New York. She said the whole block, you know, and then the next block and the next block and the next block were just silent. And all the people that she used to walk down the street and everyone would shout out the windows at her and they'd say hi and all that stuff. It was just silent and everyone yeah. had died. And wow. she said they were all her friends because she was hanging out with Keith Herring and, you know, that whole generation of mm -hmm. artists and club kids and they all died. Yeah. And it was only that moment. I was probably like 27 when I was hanging out with her. And I remember just being so shocked by the reality of that. When, when I walked home to my hotel, you know, from her apartment and was walking down those blocks, they were all bustling, you know, in, you know, 2007 New York. And I just suddenly thought if this was just dead now, like empty, you know, the impact that must have on you walking through those streets, it's just mm -hmm. so full on. And Russell and I went to see um, Inheritance, the play. And I think in a way through art now and plays yeah. and film is how we continue that message well, as well. Angels in America. Angels in America yeah. as well that Russell was in. I mean, all of these kind of plays and also your mum doing all that work to help that you know, artwork Desano, stay yeah. alive um, is w what's important. You know, we need to keep remembering those kind Absolutely. of things. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh, it's an honor. And, you know, getting to talk to Russell about it was really moving. And also because so much of the work that he's done has been about what I think is amazing about looking and what's amazing about the way that you've participated actively as a queer man in Hollywood is that you're saying, no, actually, I am not going to shy away from playing gay characters. I want to play the gay characters because there's a whole culture that we actually do need to preserve. And yes, everybody is, should be having, you know, equal opportunity and mingling with each other and, you know, playing all kinds of characters who aren't themselves. But like, there is an important legacy to preserve and a continuing, and that legacy lives on in current queer culture and it's got to be upheld. Definitely. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm really passionate about collecting art by women and queer people is because I still want to look at art by people who aren't who aren't at the center of the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. about art, but make it anyway. Like that's that's just always what's going to be interesting to me.
in the margins, sort of, I guess, sort of, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So, on a lighter note, who was the exciting artist that you had round your parents' house? That Probably at the time, did you ever take it for granted that you were surrounded by these monoliths of the art world? I definitely took it for granted. I was definitely like, (laughs) these people are old and boring. (laughs) (laughs) I loved when Lisa Yaskavich would come over because I loved her work and I knew I thought it was like, cool. Yeah. Meeting John Waters in fourth grade was a very big Whoa, deal for me. Did he, come oh, to wow. house? he didn't come to my house, although I'm going to brag. We now live in the same building in New York, and he, no way. he does not care at all. <laughs> I, my mom had a retrospective in um, a mid career retrospective at the Museum of Baltimore, Baltimore oh. Museum, and he came to the opening. And I remember I and said, That's where he's from, right? That's where he's from. Yep. And he came to the opening. He offered to take my dad out on a tour of gay bars. And my dad was like, Yes. And my mom was like, You have to go home and put our children to bed. <laughs> um, and he said to me, which I really enjoyed, I was like, I'm obsessed with you. And my mom was like, She had a fourth uh, um, hairspray themed 10th birthday party, which I did. Hairspray, not the musical, like the original yeah, movie yeah, yeah. with Tracy Turnblad and with, you know, Ricky Lake all the way. And he said, Tenth birthday party. You must be a fucked up little ten year old. And I thought it was <laughs> the best. The best. I was like, I was talking about it for like months, and all my friends at school were like, "Who's John Waters? We don't care." <laughs> it's just like they didn't care about my birthday party. Um, so that was a big one. I remember. I'm trying to think. Like, I remember seeing Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth out at Ooh. openings. Like, and I was like, you know, a teenager who was like, thought I was a real punk, and I was like, just beside myself. And that's always interesting. The people who cross over into the art world, like Steve Martin is a big art collector. Yes. Well, wasn't so Kim was- Gordon like, I actually met Steve Martin, I get to that, but wasn't Kim Gordon an artist and Sonic Youth was kind of like an art project and then it just took off? 100%. She still considers herself a visual artist. I mean, I, She's I, an amazing visual artist. I hung out with her recently in LA and she's she the, the coolest. The coolest. We went to that crazy party with Emma Reeves. It was amazing because Emma's she's really so good friends cool with her. She's so cool and hot. I just loved her though. She had I the coolest to, energy. She's I, liked so open. She had a clothing line that I used to wear. It still exists in Japan, but her when she ran it, it was called X-Girl and they had a store on Lafayette Street and it was like this really cool like kind of like like kind of like rock skate minimalist clothing and it was expensive but my mom would like like if they had a big sale i had like an ex-girl mini skirt and an ex-girl t-shirt that said we ex-girl and i wore it and like again (laughs) it did not help to get me any friends at school as is we as in the french we or right we as in the french we with like a cool picture of kim gordon's face ex-girl and i was like i remember seeing kim gordon out at a gallery and just being like this is the coolest moment of my whole life i was like oh my god I was also obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio, like everyone, but when Titanic came out, it was like Gregory Crutzen took me to see Titanic with his then-girlfriend, Anna Gaskell. I was 10. I wept hysterically in the theater, and Leonardo DiCaprio at that point had just started collecting art and was like around in galleries. So my dad had met him, and then like his art dealer had met him, and Gregory and Anna had met him, and I would just like go to every every opening I went to, anyone I talked to, I'd be like, have you seen Leonardo DiCaprio? Has he been here? What was he wearing? Like, I just couldn't stop. I know he had carved the name Leo into the roof of Greg, like the, the feel, c- ceiling of Gregory's car with a key. Really dickish thing to do. But, I, I mean, he was 20 or something. Mm-hmm. And I think he was being, and probably was considered adorable. And I remember like, <laughs> I remember like, now, just so you guys know, I have no romantic feelings for Leonardo DiCaprio. I respect him as an artist, but he's not my type. But... Back in the day, aggressive passion. And I remember like sitting in Gregory's car, 
literally running my fingers over the letter, fingering (laughs) the Leo. (laughs) That is amazing. Well, you've met Leo DiCaprio in Venice. Yes, I went to Venice, but also in New York. The Venice story I've already told in the show. Yeah. Well, I'm in a movie yeah, with but, him and I can't even meet him. Oh, yeah, so you're in the new Tarantino movie with him. I am, and I and saw Brad him at the... Pitt. Pro- I did meet Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Do you like Brad Pitt? He's the nicest person alive, and he loves Would you art. His he name? loves art. I'd love he him loves to come art. on the show. Brad's more of a platonic relationship, right. so I would high-five his name. Yeah. But he's amazing and everyone else should finger his name. But he loves art <laughs> and takes art very seriously and, you know, has talked about this publicly, his interest in making art, his interest in collecting art. He's incredibly interested, supportive. He's been he let me make a little drawing of him. He's one of the only other oh, men I've wow. painted. I drew him on the set. I drew hit all did my co stars. You know, he did I didn't give it to him, but I made him a painting. I made a painting of my best friend Jemima that's sort of an abstracted painting that i'm going to give him just because not that he wants to put it up but he's so (laughs) he's been so lovely to me and that was you know a nerve-wracking set to go on and he took such good care of me that i just wanted to like say say a thank you wow but i saw leonardo dicaprio last night and was like hello nope okay bye (laughs) (laughs) he's totally nice i just was scared i was scared Mm -hmm. i still get scared so Steve Martin, what was your Steve Martin story? I just remember seeing him in a gallery and like freaking out because he yeah. was just around. He collected art. He was like in Metro Pictures, but I loved him. I loved Parenthood. I loved I was like say, when I thought we were he was kids as well. He was everywhere. House he was sitter, everywhere. That, that must have been really surreal to see. Incredible. Yeah. Anytime yeah. I saw like seeing an actor to me was st- was the like height. And it's funny because now seeing an actor, it's like you could throw a rock and hit an actor. No offense, <laughs> Russell, you're one of my favorites. <laughs> you can throw then, a rock at me. It's fine. But then it was really like Yeah, but the, he's like, that was when Hollywood was like Hollywood, like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Julia exactly. Roberts. It was like, they, that's when they were like, you didn't, they weren't on Instagram or they Twitter. You had no yeah, idea yeah. about it's anything crazy. they were like, doing. It's like funny, I don't get, like, Demi Moore is a really close friend of mine and an amazing supportive woman. And her new book is so good inside out and everybody has to read it because it is, it doesn't just apply to mega movie stars. It will apply to everyone's trauma and pain and it's beautifully written. But it's funny, like when I see Demi, she really, even though we're really close, sometimes I'll just be looking at her from a distance and be like, God, that woman is famous and beautiful and talented because <laughs> she evokes a time when Hollywood still, it's like she's the last of the glamour. Mm, like mm. now, of course, we have like, you know, Tilda Swinton and Kate Blanchett and, you know, Lupita Nyong'o and these people who are these beautiful, epic stars. Yeah. But it's different. It's mm. just a different thing. Because on Instagram. Because yeah. you know about their lives. You Before you had no oh, idea God. about lives, only what you were told by the bits that leaked out in the press, yeah. but there wasn't gossip. It wasn't no, like... No, it's a different thing. Yeah. No it was one like was they being were, they like... Were, they were completely held up there. No one was like, being like, thank you to my sponsors, Evian. Like yes. it was a total... <laughs> which I did like two weeks ago because they let me go to Wimbledon and take my dad. Oh, that's good. That's that a good, good thank you. That was like the nice thank you I could do f- to my dad for being nice to me. I've just seen your finger. You've got Tip, which is your dad's pet name, right? Yes, his yeah. nickname. I have Tip and Laurie. So my dad's nickname is Tip. So that's on my... What does that mean? Why is he finger? called Tip? Because that's what when I started speaking to him, people were like, "Oh, you've just met Tip," and I was like, "You're like who?" Tip, I know, just... and it's like so. It's actually very English to have a weird little name like that. Mm. But um, there's debate. But he's from a wasp family, and wasps love to give each other nicknames. Like they just love it. And 
he was really uh, and the wasp for our British audience is white, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant American. So you guys have tons of white Anglo-Saxon Protestants here, but we have them too. But it's like this old. It connotes a kind of old, kind of New England. It's not necessarily wealth, but it's a certain kind of like white kind of often male, but they are women wasps too. Cultural privilege. And it is a certain personality type, like a kind of steely, flinty, not overly emotional. And my dad breaks many of those stereotypes, but by being named Carol Dunham, a.k.a. Tip, he does not. And as a kid, there's some debate about whether he was walking or sitting in the bathtub, but he couldn't stand up straight. So his cousin started calling him Tipper, and then it was shortened to Tip. Oh, I see. And he used to really get mad when he was publicly called Tip in any way. Like he didn't like acknowledgement of it because he was like – that is my nickname. I do not want to talk about it. But like at a certain point with like social media and email and whatever, like you can't fight town hall. Like people know his name is Tip. Yeah, yeah. When did you get the tattoos? I got these tattoos. Actually, the finger one's about, I had just come out of the hospital and I've had a lot of health issues and my parents have really been there for me. And about four months ago, I had gotten out of the hospital and they had been such angels that I just was like, I'm going for it. So I have Tip and Lori, and then I have Cy, which is my brother's nickname, oh. my sibling's nickname when they became Cyrus, which is, um, which is their name. That I got that on my chest. So I try to keep the. And have your, your parents seen them? The, my when I showed them the tattoos, like I sent them a picture, and I was like, look what I did. And my mom wrote back, you're really a weird child. <laughs> like, they weren't like, thank you. This oh, is wow, so touching. So touching. Yeah. My family was just like, leave us alone. <laughs> oh, I've got to tell you my Steve Martin story. I can't I wait. To. So I went to see As Meteor. As you're talking, I'm plugging in my vape. Yes, I'm addicted to jeweling, guys. I'm not proud, but it's just what's okay. happening. So we were talking about okay, Steve so Martin. Excited. We were talking about Steve Martin. So I went to see, uh, a year and a half ago, uh, Meteor Showers on Broadway. Oh, yeah. I went with a, the uh, producer friend. And he said, um, oh, I've been speaking to Steve. And Steve said, do you want to come by the apartment afterwards and talk about the show? And he said, do you want to go into Steve Martin's apartment up a west side after the show? And I was like, fuck, yes, of course I do. <laughs> so of course cool. I do. Yeah. You're like, like, I found myself in another one of these situations, yeah. guys. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was like, as if I wouldn't, as if I wouldn't want to do that. What part of you thinks I would be like, not tonight, I'm kind of tired. Yes, of course. We saw the show. Then we're heading up there and we got in the elevator and I'm like, this is crazy. And the elevator door opens and it's like, hello, it's Steve <laughs> Martin. I'm like, hey, he said, come through, come through. And I was like, all right. So we go into his apartment and my friend goes forward with Steve and then I'm with his wife and I meet his wife and she's adorable and she's lovely. She's great. She's so nice. So nice. And I go, oh my God, you've got two Giorgio Morandi paintings in your lobby. They're beautiful. She went, no, 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 there's a third just on, <laughs> just around the corner. And I was like... Oh my God. So I walked around the corner, but that's even better than the other two. They're no, like wait, his George... art collection's unbelievable. Ah, and I was like, ah, ah. and then so we went in the kitchen, there's art, and then we went in the living room, and there's an amazing art everywhere, and there's like a Francis Bacon, and there's a Sonia Delaune, and there's just amazing works. And I'm sort of sat there, and he's like, so what do you think of the play? So we started talking about like the play, and I was down, da, 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 about the play, but all I wanted to talk about was the art collection. <laughs> yeah. I love the play, but I want to talk about wow. the art collection. And then we started talking about the art collection, and then he, he said, oh, you must come through to my office. And there was like an Edward Hopper in the office. Wow. And then we're sitting, and then he pulls out his banjo, and he sat there like playing his banjo, and we're all talking about art and his art collection and then he was saying you you got to look at this artist um norman lewis and alma thomas who are these african-american artists that have sort of been overlooked but now he's been a massive champion of their work and he had the work there and then like in the last two years i've seen their work everywhere and like kerry james marshall has been really pushing norman lewis and it's 
so exciting what he's doing. And it was just one of the moments where you're like, this yeah. is fucking crazy. And the he says, best. like, George Kondo goes over there for dinner all the time. And so cool. I love when people who have money and influence decide to collect art. I think it's so interesting because those celebrities could do anything. They could collect Maseratis. They could collect vintage watches. Right. And same with rich people. Like, even though I said that the art world is like, it's unfair that it's all dependent on wealthy people, I also deeply appreciative, appreciate that there are certain people who choose to spend their accumulated money by surrounding themselves with beautiful objects because it's not just about that. Mm. They're, it's actually them supporting the lives of creative people. Mm. And, you know, we don't have patronage anymore. The closest no. thing we have to it is art collectors. And it's just, you know, it's just a really... And as long as they're sharing it, you know, because he was so happy and excited about my enthusiasm yeah, and to course. share it with me. And that's amazing. If if people aren't really letting people into their homes living with it, I suppose it's different. You but my, have, my experience about it is that share it. I just totally. want to talk about it when people come to my flat. I'm like, you know, let's talk I about mean, all this. It's amazing. Something I've had to think about a lot is, you know, I don't like thinking about my parents dying and I hope it never happens. But when you're the child, children of artists, prolific artists, you have to think about how you're going to handle their work. Estates, and yeah. we've had a lot of conversation. You know, I've had to pick an executor for my estate and it's my my uh, producing partner, Liz, who's amazing. And I know if anything were to happen to me, would handle things beautifully. And, you know, my mom would probably like, you know, you know, sell all my effects to some random person and buy like a second house and a lot of shoes. I don't know what would happen. <laughs> but um, but I think about it because it's going to be my sibling and my job to really figure out how to support their legacy. And I often think about the fact that I'd, they have an amazing home in Connecticut where they both work and that I'd love to turn it into like a sort of combination, like museum, arts education center, artist residence, the same way that Robert Rauschenberg's mm. um, Captiva home mm. has been turned into an artist residency with who elicits Jackson Pollock's place, Lee Kresner's, is that an artist residency or is that just kept as like a museum? I think it's kept as a museum, yeah. but there are a bunch that are artist residencies. My, my podcast, The C Word, I host it with um, my friend Alyssa Bennett, who's a gallery director at Gladstone and a, uh, an art historian. And she just did a residency at the Rauschenberg Institute. And I was just thinking, like, she's such an important writer, thinker, artist. And it makes me so happy that there are places that she can go. Uh -huh. Yes, yeah, incredible. You love you love the podcast. I, the C -word. I, I mean, I love the C word. I, I, I do Rob, love Rob it. Is. I really love it. We have really a lot of fun, I have to say. We just, she's such a genius, Alyssa. And then she just, like, she brings the genius and I bring the, um, the, uh, uh, embattled celeb perspective and we just go to town we have fun how long have you been doing it so we've done 10 episodes we've been doing it for we started a year ago did our first test episode right. we're about to start recording the second half of our first season um because we, we do 10 and we really research them and go for it but i want us to start expanding to do some more interviews we're going to do um we're going to do an art world centered episode this year which i'll i'll say we should that. do a crossover surely Hello. I think we should. <laughs> yeah. And I think you guys should come on our Jocelyn Wildenstein themed episode. I love that. Important art collector who had the most plastic surgery yes. ever to make herself Bride look like a cat. Wow. Yes. Bride of Wildenstein. With a... Love her. Who she, she she's still to... alive. She... Oh, yeah. Have you she met her? Like, no, but I've seen her out and I would remember... You've seen I... her out in the flesh? Oh, yeah. And what's it like? I mean, it not looks it, like... Not referring to it's her. It's actually is it, almost what is the experience beautiful because like? it looks like a sculpture. Looks right. like a sculpture's out. 
it's not gross to me. It just looks like a sculptor made like this intent. And it's also like, in a way, that is her art and her vision is like that she's going to literally, she wants to look like a cat. But do you think she's aware of what she actually looks like in the world? I think it's a really interesting thing, which is yes. And I think that she's not doing it for anyone but herself, which is right. a really crazy thing. And our misread of her is like, oh, she's this old woman who just wants to look young and beautiful. But it's like, if she wanted to look young and beautiful, she'd get a facelift and some lip injections like everyone right. else. She yeah. wanted to look like a like Bengal that. cat. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And it's, it's artwork. It's yeah. artwork on her face. And she's fucking smart. I always think she about... knows what she's doing. And Wilderstein was her husband who was a plastic surgeon who did all the operations, mm. right? I think that he was he was and they've been big art collectors and he was incredibly wealthy. Wow, Jocelyn Wildenstein, baby. So, so you're, you're doing an episode where she, is she going to be on? I don't think so. I think so we're why just do you, how do you think talk art fits in with that? We'll talk about the art world. We'll and talk how about it the art world and collectors, and, and we can talk about because all of how land. much plastic surgery you've had, Russell, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and different. <laughs> which, like I'm going to think about this yeah. one. Well, we can also talk about artists who use their bodies. We can talk because there's that famous artist who got all the plastic surgery as a. A part of her project, but now I'm forgetting her name. Is that Orlan? Yes, Orlan. Yeah, Orlan. Yeah, Orlan, that's what I was just saying. Yeah, Orlan, exactly. And there's that amazing man um, who do, who did the huge performance at Tate recently, Fr- Frank or something. He he's incredible too. I who? What's uh, your performance artist? Yeah, yeah, performance artist. Yeah, and he like bleeds down the catwalk and stuff. Speaking like, of plastic really surgery, long. being in England because everyone's getting lip fillers here because of Love Island, right? And they sell lip fillers for like nineteen ninety nine on every street corner. I keep being like, is the world trying to send me a message that I need lip fillers? I don't think Do I want it. lip fillers? But I'm not going to do I it. I don't think you need it. I, I just this morning read your article for The Guardian about Love Island. Oh, and uh, do you know the thing that I thought was so genius? The end when you're like, I just wish summer would last forever or something. Or, you know, <laughs> oh, I, I, so no, but I found it so sweet. It was like the end of a kind of, it was like an end of an episode of Happy Days or something. You know, when you're a kid and you watch those old American TV shows. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, yeah, I love the so way you wrote fun. that. Thank you. I love Love Island. I think Love Island is art. Well, oh, I, haven't, gotcha. I have to admit, I haven't seen it, so I can't really well, comment. Well, get started. I saw I 60 episodes. Six zero. Six zero. This summer, I've been watching it since the day it started. have watched 60 episodes. Only three have I not seen in real time. I was home every night. Only the reason I didn't go watch was because I had night shoots. How do you do? You stream it from here? Well, no, or? in Wales, I have. In Wales. Oh, in like, Wales. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. And also, I was in Wales when it started, and I was like, what else do I have oh, to do? Oh, hang on, so there's 60 nights this on. In my head, I'm thinking nights. you've seen, right, right, right. Yeah, but also you must have learned about it previously through Daily Mail Online. <laughs> well, I'd always see these people, and I'd be like, who the fuck is this? And then <laughs> when I finally saw Love Island, I was like, yeah, these people are the biggest celebrities in the world to me now. Like, I like I have to tell you, Molly May Haig, social, influencer, social media influencer Molly May Haig, is a straight-up bigger celebrity to me than like... I know. You know, literally a bigger celebrity to me it's than so like weird. It's that Marta low, Robbie. low rent fame, reality fame that I get more starstruck by. I went to an ITV party and there was all the people there who are like people I'm meant to be like networking with and talking to and being like impressed by. And then there was people from The Only Way is Essex who were in the same room. Oh, yeah. I couldn't cope. You were with the Towies? Yeah. The Towie gang and Arge and Lydia walked past and they were a couple no. at the time. And Chloe. And it was just like... The I- GC. I love the GC. I'm going <laughs> to go to Gemma Collins' store because it's a store for fabulous curvy women like me. And I want to meet Gemma Collins. Um, I love her so much. I love Towie. Arge was not nice when he fat shamed GC because he was in no position to do it. But I understand that relationships are complicated. My feeling about UK... 
social media stars ever since I saw, I came to London for a show my mom was having when I was 12 and I spent the entire time in my hotel room watching S Club 7. Oh, I loved S Club 7. <laughs> and I did not, because are you and I the same age? How old are you? I'm going to be 30. I'm born 81, so you're three years younger Okay, than me. so it is so crazy. I was like, I was like, this is my life. Like, I love S Club 7. Yeah. I can't even, like, go out to this, like, gorgeous party at, like, the Serpentine because I'm watching S Club 7 to start my life a, today. I did an episode of Holby City when I was a kid with Jeremy Edwards, who at the time was dating Rachel from S Club 7 around Christmas time, and they just released their single, Never Had a Dream Come True. And I remember I, I was sitting there in the green room. S Club the, 7 didn't release their single. Yeah, their single, Never Had a Dream Come True. I know and it. And the video came up, Never Had a Dream Come, come True. true. Till the day that I found you. Anyway, that was on yes. TV. And we was, I was sat next to him between scenes in the green room. And he, the video of that song came up with his then girlfriend on it. And I remember just having a, a mini kind of meltdown in my head. What I did he say? Was he like, well, he that's was, my he, girlfriend? He was just super cool with it. He was like, oh, there she is. Yeah, and we sort of watched it. And neither of us really commented on it. But in my head, I was having this absolute like existential starstruck I, meltdown like you wow. know her and yeah. she's there and i can't put this together in my I, head i had a really similar thing my best friend at school andrew chaplin he used to work behind the scenes on tv channels or like uh what's it called channel four used to have that morning program t4 t4 and then he did the national lottery which was like when the lottery came to england they had a music guest every week so i used to go every week and we we met like natalie and brulia kylie and i I was wearing this sheepskin coat and my brother had just died and i was really depressed and kylie came and sat next to me and was like so sweet to me asking if i was all right and i was just like i love kylie and it was during her like did it again phase when she wasn't um you know, having the huge pop hits. It was kind of her indie Kylie phase. So she didn't have like all the people around her. So she was just being very down to earth and very sweet. But the thing I got to do was hang out with the Spice Girls. Mm. And it was when they did Spice Up Your Life. Mm. And it was the most surreal thing because I'd been obsessed with the Spice Girls through my teens. And then to actually see them all just sat next to you in the green room was the weirdest thing. And one of them went for a cigarette or something. And I was like, they smoke? Smoke. Like they're real people? Like it was mad. I had that at BBC and all the take that was sat in a booth. So good. That all just squashed in. When I was a kid, I was 11 doing a TV show there. And I, I couldn't cope. I just, nothing makes sense anymore. It's so wild to me that you were a child actor because I also feel like that has something to do We'd have to spend a while psychoanalyzing that, but it's almost like for you, art collecting and becoming involved with the art world was also like a way to like be your own person and individuate yourself from this thing that you'd been doing your whole life probably. I guess so. I've actually said to him that doing the podcast is a bit like, it reminds me of going to my master's university um, where we would have like visiting practitioners, like artists, gallerists, whatever, come and talk to us. Yeah. And I said to him, you're actually basically doing your master's or your BA degree doing this podcast, but also by collecting. And one he's educated himself and it's came, such a brilliant thing. One of my best friends just left today. He came to visit me for three days because I wasn't feeling well when I wrapped my show and it was so sweet. He just came and like picked me up and he um, drove me to Dungeness to see Derek Jarman's house. Wow. Love it. I just went recently too. And I was feeling, it was amazing. Yeah. And I was feeling really not well. I have like, uh, I have issues with my, um, like I have a form of rheumatoid arthritis. So some days it's really hard for me to move. So he just drove me, I lay down in the back of the car. I got out, we walked slowly around Dungeness, but just seeing the place where Derek Jarman spent the end of his life gave me this gust, but he is he went to Yale Graduate School and now he's doing um like a fellowship at the Reich Institute in Amsterdam. He's mm-hmm. an incredible sculptor named Ian Page. And he was just so inspiring because we went to college together. And like for us, it was like a reminder 
of where we started, which is just like, you know, together thinking about these visionary people and thinking mm -hmm. like, how are we going to form our lives and become artists? And it was really special to go and in our indifferent, but very connected ways where we've each become artists and we get to spend our time together. And it's just, it's really great. Is the house preserved? I'd like it. It's totally preserved. Wow. I know my mom shows at the same gallery that represents Derek Jarman's estate, Amanda Wilkinson here. Oh, yes. And so I know that I think Derek Jarman's partner still lives there part of the time and keeps it preserved. And then they have a sign that says, it's polite to watch from the road because people come. I mean, there was three. It was the morning on a Tuesday and three other people, four other people were there. I loved it. One what a few caretakers were taking someone in a, like a woman who was um, like in a wheelchair and not totally conscious was there just like enjoying the estate and an older couple and Ian and I we did trek a little closer to the house than we were supposed to we did veer off the road a little bit because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted that selfie guys but um, it was really special I feel like when I was there I went there about four or five months ago actually on a date um, it's a good maybe date longer spot. than that. Maybe eight, eight minutes ago. I wish someone would take me on a date to Dungeness. That's well, hot. He was a. He was a. He was a. He he does uh, props and sets on movies, and so he's a kind of very DIY kind of guy. Like, and he had a white van, and he drove me in his white van oh. all the way down to Dungeness for the day. And I think they were actually painting the house. No way. Yeah, well, they it were, looks like, great. It looks it. fresh. Yeah, it looks exactly. Fresh. Yeah. That, there's that a poem. I, there. I couldn't read the poem, but there's like these carved letters on the side of the house that. And the yard is full of German sculptures, and um, it's just beautiful. I'm in the process of actually building a house that my my dad and his close friend David Burrs, who's an architect, I'm building a small house behind my parents' house in on their compound in Connecticut. Wow. And my dad and David designed it, and they designed it. It's not big. It's a, by anyone. I mean, it's, it doesn't look like some big celeb house. It's like a little dinky house, but they designed it to specific specifications so that it would fit. All I cared was that my Ellen Birkenblitz could be hung. <laughs> the shoe. I, the shoe. Yeah. The huge shoe. Finally get it I home. wanted to have a place for a watercolor. My dad, it's really beautiful. For my 33rd birthday, my father designed and had fabricated a rolling watercolor table for me that had oh. places for all my brushes and my cup of, sunk place for my cup of water. It's so beautiful. So he's going to build me this whole studio in the basement of my new house and then it's going to have space for my Birkenblit and lots of windows and places to put up art and be close enough to my parents so that we can kind of have our little compound and I think that's my Derek Jarman dream coming true. That sounds like heaven. That sounds like total visit. heaven. Yes, I'd please. love to have you two and then it's going to be ready in the spring when you're on Broadway yes. so guess what guys? You can come, stay at my house, interview my parents, Love see it. the Could studio. Could come after the matinee on Sunday, stay, and over. stay over. How long does it take to get to Connecticut from Manhattan? Two hours. Yes, driving close. or flying? Driving. Driving, yes. Just two hours oh driving. It's God. nothing. We'll, we'll drive. My it's going to be every weekend. I mean, you can come anytime. <laughs> so it's many the interviews. coziest. Also, my mom will want to like... She never cooked when I was a kid, but now that we're out of the house, she just is like... Basically, she wants to entertain handsome gay men, so you're in. 
Love her. Yeah. I actually That's really would. We would love to interview both of them. They're so incredible. So and, come. Yeah. That would be my dream. Is for you to come. And also, having listened to your podcast, there were two things that I took away that I was really touched by to do with. I think it was when you were interviewing your dad, actually, because there's yeah. an episode of. Is it? It's not the C word, is it? It's the um, women it's of the hour. Women of the hour. Women where of the I hour. Interview my dad, which was your own podcast pr- prior to the C word. Yeah, I interviewed my but dad about doing mushrooms. Exactly, and I loved that story. How how like you opened the fridge one day and then you saw the mushrooms in there, and the whole of your reality was like crumbled. I was like, my dad is a drug addict, I and know. he was like, I take mushrooms once a year, and I was like, my dad. <laughs> I like didn't understand the difference between someone who does psychedelics once a year and is like a straight up on the street injecting themselves, selling their body for crack addict. <laughs> Now, I mean, living the life I've lived, I have zero judgments. But at 14, I was like, my life is ruined. And then in college, I was like, can I have some of your mushrooms? Like, it really turned around. <laughs> I thought the description of it where you're like running to the supermarket or something. It was so weeping. cinematic. Though. I, I ran was to like, the you supermarket cannot- weeping and found my dad like buying us pasta for dinner and was like, you liar. And he was like, what the fuck is going on? My poor father dealing with <laughs> my mother, my sibling, me, like... His life has just been a series of humiliations, but he is bearing up well under the pressure and carrying on and making his art. And I'm very proud of them both. We love the to. other thing that they said to you, or one of them said to you, was that your work chooses you if you let it. And I thought that was such a great thing for people to take away because yeah. we have a lot of artists and writers and different creative people listening to this show. And I thought you. that was such a great thing to say because when we started doing the podcast, a few people said to us that what comes easy to you is often what you don't want to do because mm-hmm. it's easy. And yeah. why would you do that? Yeah. And and we didn't realize how, how we enjoyed talking to people and broadcasting almost. And it wasn't something either of us had thought we were going to yeah. do. But actually, it is really important because it can help other people as well. It can. And I also think the thing I would always say to young artists in any medium, whether they're actors or writers or photographers, is like, it's good to be disciplined, obviously. And if you have a job to do, work hard. But you also don't have to be so fucking tough on yourself. Like, I think yes. a lot of young people think they have to torture themselves into making work or make themselves miserable. But it's like... You can actually get a lot of creativity out of just being kind to yourself. And also, we live in this culture that's obsessed with, like, you know, everybody, you know, being, like, the youngest model, the youngest actor, the youngest artist. It's okay to take your time. Like, I'm 33, and I've been in the public eye for 10 years making work, and I feel like I'm just starting to figure out who I am as an artist. And I love, like, my mom says all the time, that she didn't, I mean, my mom started showing when she was 27, but like it's in the last few years that she feels like she's really settled into appreciating the career she has. My dad's career didn't really even start till he was in his 40s. Like it doesn't have to be, I know Marilyn Minter's always like, I became a star at 66. Like it's like people keep going and just keep doing what you love. And like, it sounds so cliche, but like, you know, obviously if you're not, if like if you're hiding in, in your house, this isn't the case, but it's like if you're just doing what you do and sharing it with people in a way that feels good, like the right people will find you and mm. your career and life will form itself. You don't have to like hustle and network and push and hurt yourself. Just do what gives you joy. I think, yeah, I think, I think in some ways if you like your own work, that in itself is a success. Well, haven't you ever had the experience of having something be a success, but you yourself don't believe in it Mm. and that's as painful like we think we want success at we think we want success at any cost but no the only time criticisms really hurt me 
is if I've thought they were picking up on something real, which is that I wasn't 100% behind. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Like if I let something out too early or I did something against my best interest and now I really sit with myself and meditate on like, do I actually want to do this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does this mean to me? And that's definitely something that comes with age. I think that confidence and strength in your own decision-making and yeah. also trusting your own mind, I guess. I remember when I was like 19 and I turned 20, I thought I'd, I was a failure because I hadn't become a big pop star yet. And I had a, yeah, I was course. working with you know big producers and making a record and all this stuff. And I literally thought it was over for me because at the age of, of 20, I was over. I mean, that's well, just mad. One of the people that I worked with literally was like like one of my best friends who I made things with when I was young when we turned 25 we are like we've known each other since we were born she's coming to visit me tomorrow my friend Isabel and she's in, her father is Peter Halley that artist oh, yes. oh wow we love Peter love. Halley yeah he's amazing so Isabel Halley his daughter is my best friend we grew up paintings. together but he's had the big moment happen the last like four years or something yeah. and he's always working and I he sort of his, was in um, fashion and really yeah. out and now like he's everywhere he's I love everywhere. his public art as well the giant ones in like airports yeah, in Fort Worth yeah and he started inter- um, Index Magazine which was an amazing yeah, 90s yeah. magazine awesome but yeah so Isabel's a ceramicist. She's an incredibly gifted ceramicist and my childhood best friend and continuing What's her name, hero. Isabel? Isabel Halley. Okay. So her Instagram is at Isabel Halley Ceramics. And we we used to do this web show called Delusional Downtown Divas that was about these I'm gonna put it back online. It was about these three girls who were obsessed with entering the New York art world at any cost. So we did these episodes. We did them with I mean, our guests were amazing. It was everyone from like Isaac Mizrahi to wow. Nate Loman wow. to my mom to Joan Jonas, we wow. did an episode with, and they were narrative. She's incredible. They were narrative. Rob Wynn, we were. They were narrative episodes, but we did them with real artists who kind of acted in them. And these girls were obsessed with becoming these like overnight successes. And so we made the show, and we ended up doing um two seasons of it. One we was funded by the Guggenheim, and was one of the first things we did. And when we turned 25, Isabel called me and she was like, this is terrible. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, we could never be precocious again. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Being precocious is fucking overrated and being cozy in your nightgown is underrated. Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. Um, Something else I've really loved is that you often highlight other artists or other creative people. And I feel like you've done a lot to sort of champion others, which is actually a really special thing. And I think true artists will do that. They will always, you know, champion others. And this week you highlighted an artist that I'd never heard of called Lucy Jones. And yes. I love Lucy Jones' Isn't work. Isn't she incredible? And thank you for telling me about her because I didn't know about her work. She's amazing. And she's dealing with being differently able. Yes. And she expresses she has cerebral it through, palsy. She has cerebral palsy yeah. and she expresses it through her paintings, which are stunning. But they're incredible works. And I can't believe incredible. Like, there's actually an exhibition in England. And, I, and I, I'm a gallerist in England. Where is like, it? Um, with... Uh, is it Flowers Gallery? No, who did Flowers she show with? No. Yes. Is it Flowers? I she thought. I yeah, thought, it might be, but yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Her work's amazing. Yeah. So I'm just, that, that's just one tiny example though. That's from King's Road, how... isn't it? Flowers East. Is that going to be there? Yeah, but I... This is a great place city to see art. Have you guys gone to see the Lee Krasner at the Barbican Not yet? Not yet. It's on the list. Okay, I'm going to go tomorrow if anyone wants to come with I'm me. I'm working tomorrow. Are you the weekend, possibly. You're working. I'm back in Margate tomorrow, yeah. Well, I'm not going to be here on the weekend, but I'll be back next week. <laughs> but I lovely krasner because i just read yeah, that book too. ninth street women about i've got that on I, I haven't seen it's it yet either so good and mm. for a minute all i would do was paint paintings of elaine de kooning lee Kla- Kra- was krasner lee krasner and grace hardigan 
painting their paintings. And finally, my dad was like, you have to stop only painting paintings of these women painting their paintings. (laughs) (laughs) But I made a painting of Elaine de Kooning and her husband for my friend Botsheva, who's an amazing fashion designer. Um, And yeah, I just, I love creative people. I love creative women. It gets me just crazy with joy. Well, her story, I mean, is incredible as well, isn't it? Beyond words. Yeah. So every guest we have on Talk Art um, has to answer two questions. I know. I've been <laughs> planning my answers. I still can't believe you've been listening to our show, though. I love this. I've been planning um, my answers. Yeah. So um, if you could do an art heist and go to a museum or anywhere or someone's house and take an artwork home with you, what would it be? Okay. I would go to the mat under the cover of night. I would enlist the help of security guards. I would befriend them so that they, because they're the people who know all the codes and I'd have to get a docent too and some art handlers. And I would take in the Renaissance painting hall, the painting of Joan of Arc, where she's standing in her yard, hearing the voice of God as she looks up at a tree. And right now I'm forgetting the name of the painter, which I know isn't helpful, but it's a really famous painting. It's been in the Met forever. And it's Joan of Arc as a teenager when she first hears the voice of God. And it really, to me, I've been obsessed with it since I was a kid. But as I get older, this painting, which is obviously by a man, which is not usually part of my collecting rules, that's okay, (laughs) has come to me to be about like the moment of inspiration and also the moment of like hearing the call and listening to it. So I would want it in my house. And then I'd have to replace it on the wall with something. So I'd just put up one of my mom's pictures and go. So that you could claim her rightful place. I love that you chose Joan of Arc. What so is, is it the, this uh, one here? Is it Jules yep. Bastien Lepage? It's Jules Bastien Lepage's Joan of Arc. It's wow. an unbelievable painting. And what is this yard from like? From 1879. 1879. Is this yard like the one you've got in Wales that she's standing in? It kind in? of is. Like it's a pretty Welsh yard. And she's just like <laughs> looking so dreamy and pretty. But you can tell she's about to go fucking shave her head and like fight the Crusades as a man. Wow. I know that you also love music. And I love the fact you have Liz Fair, by the way, making your... Uh, we were singing, I mean, we were singing HWC. Hot we were White singing it. We were going to sing it to you. She's my favorite. Are you going to sing it to me now? HWC. It's my favorite. She's my favorite. She's so amazing. She's, so she's a book coming out. I'm going to get to read it early. But do you remember that lyric that Garbage did? That was like, I'm like Joan of Arc or something. I used to love... Garbage was so good. Well, you know that Joan of Arc quote that like every cheesy college girl has up on their board, but it's true. What? Joan of Arc once said, I'm not afraid. I was born to do this. It's very Game of Thrones, isn't it? Very Game... I mean, the whole Joan of Arc thing's very Game of Thrones. I feel like Joan of Arc's inspired Madonna's new album as well. I think there's a track on she it. She has. Isn't there a track on it yep. that's about Joan of Arc? I love Madonna's new album too. Me it's too. So it's so good. The, it's the best she's done in, in ages and I it's love so that good. Song, Crave. I like, I like that she's, she's... I actually quite like the Eurovision performance, which everyone hated. In some oh, ways, because everyone, everyone hated it, I really like, liked it. Everyone yeah. wants to be mean. Everyone wants to be mean. Madonna's and a also, hot bitch. We know wants, it. Everyone wants to bring down women as well. It's not cool. Yeah, and everyone wants to bring down Madonna because she's always pushed back and she's never just settled into the role people wanted for her. And they want her to just retreat into being a heritage act and tour like a virgin and like dance around. And she's not going to fucking do it because she's no. Madonna. Bitch, I'm Madonna. And also her new record is, is so great. I mean, it's one of the greatest things she's done. Yeah. So respect to Madonna. Respect. So the other question we ask all of our Contestants, I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want a game show? <laughs> is, what's your favorite color? My favorite color, it has never changed. It's been my favorite color since the day I was born. I believe it'll be my favorite color till the day I die. Ladies and gentlemen, it is pink. Pink? <laughs> yes. What's, what, I, any shade of pink or any pink? It varies. I like a neon pink. Mm. I like a, I, all my homes are always painted like a soft baby pink, a color called ballet slipper by Benjamin Moore. It's like a beautiful, soft pink. 
I also like like a kind of salmon pink. Pink mm-hmm. is my dad's favorite color too. Like because he says it just has the most range and it's always surprising you in nature. Like a creamy salmon pink. I love like a dark like kind of raspberry. I love like or a dusky pink. Or... Yeah, I love like a dusky pink. I love like the color of a human cornea. I just I love pink. I have a hairless cat named Lou who is the most perfect baby pink cat and. Also, I told my friend Ian reminded me the other day that in college I was stoned and I turned to him and I said, I wish I could sleep in a strawberry. <laughs> oh, wow. But I do wish I could sleep in a strawberry. My whole life is aimed at the goal of sleeping in a strawberry. That needs to become a photo shoot with somebody. Someone's got to let me do it. That is too good. Right. I love yes. pink. And my you new house is going to be pink. Strawberry. So you guys will come to my you pink house. You need to house. build a strawberry and then you can actually sleep in the strawberry. Is it going to be my like fantasy. Connecticut shuttering, like um, uh, tongue and groove sort? Yes, only like a little modern and pink. Heaven. Love that. Heaven. So well, get, in my, get in my home. Lena Dunham. I said your name right. I loved it. Russell. Rob. This podcast is great, and it's an honor. It's oh, been an honor. You. Thank you for coming to my nightgown space. Well, Lena D, you have been a joy. Thank it's you. Joy. Been, By the way, that's yeah. another thing I loved was you and Emma Stone talking about nicknames and how men, often not, straight men on sets, will often be like, hey, darling, and you're like, uh, uh, don't call me that. The guy that I'm working like, with right now Lena actually D. exclusively calls me Lena Dunham. He'll always be like, hello, Lena Dunham, or Lena Dunham, as I live and breathe. And I actually find it there's a lot of respect to being called by your full yeah. solid name. Yeah. Like if an, I had a guy I worked with who was calling me Milady and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you this you go die." This is in the UK. Oh. Yes. Yeah. It was so horrible and I knew he thought he was being nice, but it was like when I'm setting up a shot, I don't want to be called Milady. <laughs> I actually realized that I called and you Lena D. I love Lena D. No, it's my I favorite did, nickname. I know, but then I found out that you actually liked it. And I was like, I was calling you Lena D. I'd it's go my like, passion. have you seen In Lena In high D's school, my stand-up comedy name was, I would do stand-up comedy as Lena D. And I had a column in the school newspaper called Zoology with Lena D about animals. <laughs> Preferably pink animals. Pink animals um, exclusively. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on Talker. Yeah, my God, it's been amazing. amazing. everyone listening, we are going to post images of all the artworks we have. There's um, a lot. There's a lot to We've talked a lot through. about art and i can send you some of the images of the ones i yes, own if please. you want to have some yes, do you know yes, what yes, i like yes, though yes. i feel like you are someone that talks a lot about yourself about your life and you've shared a lot in you in in the public i guess yeah but i like the fact that there isn't that much known about what you're into art wise and, and i'm glad that no, you're this now... is an amazing when i heard that you wanted me on the podcast i knew it was an amazing opportunity to talk about something i really love so thank yeah. you both well respect to that we will be back very soon well, yeah. thanks yeah. for listening You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.